0: Le'olam V'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpaka. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Friday, February 2nd. I want to draw your attention to a pick on the navigation menu on the Daily Audio Torah website. It is found under our Projects and Partners. Select Torah House Global Prayer Network. This is a call to believers throughout the nations everywhere to take a place on the wall of prayer and to raise up a standard against the rising tide of evil and lawlessness that we see in our nations and in our culture. Let me share with you from their vision statement. The Torah House is an imaginary space where we meet each Arab Shabbat Friday night at 9 p.m. We all pray from our own location and in our own time zone. Together, we will enter into the virtual Torah House every Arab Shabbat at 9 p.m. your local time. His set-apart people will meet with Yeshua in His Torah House. Community prayer is of tremendous value because as we pray of one heart, mind, and purpose, great power is released in the heavens. We begin our prayer time with a great shofar blast and enter Yehovah's courts with praise. We come against the relentless tide of evil that is swallowing up the nations. We ask our Father to establish His Torah in our city, our region, and our nation. Each month, There is a featured prayer theme for the month that goes out in a newsletter so that together we can focus our prayers on the prayer theme for that month. Go to thetorahouse.com to see the prayer theme for the month. To learn more or to sign up to become a partner, coordinator, or member, go to thetorahouse.com and find out more. Join with others throughout the nations every Friday night at 9 p.m. your time as together we raise up a symphony of prayer to Abba Father in seeking His face and crying out to Him for the remnant to return to the God of Israel and to His great and glorious Torah. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Yitro, and it means Jethro. Exodus 19.20-20.17 20 to 20, 17. The Lord came down on the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. Then the Lord told Moses, Go back down and warn the people not to break through the boundaries to see the Lord, or they will die. Even the priests who regularly come near to the Lord must purify themselves, so that the Lord does not break out and destroy them. But Lord, Moses protested, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai. You already warned us. You told me. Mark off a boundary all around the mountain to set it apart as holy. But the Lord said, Go down and bring Aaron back up with you. In the meantime, do not let the priests or the people break through to approach the Lord, or he will break out and destroy them. So Moses went down to the people and told them what the Lord had said. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am Yahweh your Elohim who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other god but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse His name. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to Yahweh your Elohim. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, and your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the lord your god is giving you you must not murder you must not commit adultery you must not steal you must not testify falsely against your neighbor you must not covet your neighbor's house you must not covet your neighbor's wife male or female servant ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor Matthew 22, 1-33 Yeshua also told them other parables. He said, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited. But they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them the feast has been prepared. The bulls and fattened cattle have been killed, and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. The king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, "'The wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see.' So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. "'Friend,' he asked, "'how is it that you are here without wedding clothes?' But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, Bind his hands and his feet, and throw him into the outer darkness, while there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Yeshua into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of their disciples, along with the supporters of Herod, to meet with him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Yeshua knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for the tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, Whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them, and they went away. That same day, Yeshua was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They posed this question. Teacher, Moses said if a man dies without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children, so his brother married the widow. But the second brother also died, and the third brother married her this continued with all seven of them last of all the woman also died so tell us whose wife will she be in the resurrection for all seven were married to her yeshua replied your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of god for when the dead rise they will neither marry nor be given in marriage in this respect they will be like the angels in heaven but now as to whether there will be a resurrection of the dead. Haven't you ever read about this in the scriptures? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. When the crowds heard him, they were astounded at his teaching. Psalm 27, 1-6 the Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord The thing I seek the most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Proverbs 6, 20-26 My son, obey your father's commands and don't neglect your mother's instruction. Keep their words always in your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, their counsel will lead you. When you sleep, they will protect you. When you wake up, they will advise you. For their command is a lamp, and their instruction a light. Their corrective discipline is the way to life. It will keep you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of a promiscuous woman. Don't lust for her beauty. Don't let her coy glances seduce you. For a prostitute will bring you to poverty, but sleeping with another man's wife will cost you your life. I want to speak to you today from our reading from Exodus chapter 20, and these are the Ten Commandments. And the first five of those commandments have to do with how we relate to God, and the last five commandments have to do with how we relate to our fellow man. And These are basically like the um, lines on a freeway or a road. And as long as you stay in your lane, you're not going to bash into other drivers on the road. If you stay in your lane, the lines are there for your protection. But when the lines are gone or they change constantly, there's going to be a mess on the freeway. And nobody knows where they're supposed to be. And they're bashing and sideswiping and running into other drivers. It's the same idea as a playground, and you have children, young children, kindergarten up through sixth grade, playing at the playground during recess. And often there's a chain-link fence all around the playground because uh, maybe the playground is right next to a big, busy boulevard. And perhaps there's some kind of a pervert or a pedophile who's got his eyes on the children and seeing who he might be able to stalk. Well, the fence is there to protect the children. And if the fence were gone, then during recess, one of the children might wander off the playground and go step out into the busy Boulevard and get hit by a a truck. Or that pedophile lurking could easily snatch up one of the children. The fence is there for their protection. The boundaries are in place for our protection. And our Ten Commandments that we have basically define basic civilized society. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Don't covet your neighbor's items or things that belong to him. Don't have idols. These define morals and decency in modern society. And as long as we had the Judeo-Christian ethic that our culture was founded upon, we had decency and we had a good environment to live in. But when you think now about the Israel-Hamas war, the people on the side of Hamas, the Hamas terrorists, they have completely thrown all sense of decency and morality out the window. They don't wear military uniforms. They don't engage with soldiers on the other side. They attack civilians, women, children, babies, elderly. And they did horrific, horrific uh, butchery to the Jewish people. So when you depart from the morals of a society you you descend into hellish chaos and i would submit to you that the idf army is the most moral army in the world and why is that because overwhelmingly the vast majority of them are practicing jews they they are people of faith who follow the Torah, who follow um, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, and who follow the Ten Commandments. And so they show mercy, and they don't want to go to war. They don't have bloodlust and killer in them. They, they don't want this. They want peace. They shower a community with leaflets and flyers before they bomb to say hey there's going to be some bombing here you need to get out of here head south they'll make thousands of phone calls and send thousands of texts to warn residents you need to move out of this area it's it's a military target and please head south um one little old lady a Gazan in a wheelchair was abandoned by her whole community and by Hamas terrorists and she was in the road and a guy an IDF soldier who was inside of a battle tank got out of the tank and assisted her and helped her to get out of harm's way and turned her over to the Red Cross. So it's these kinds of actions that make them so so moral and it's Where does the morality come from? It comes from the Ten Commandments. It comes from the practice of living out the Torah in your life. And when we depart from the Bible and the teachings of the Bible, as a culture, as a society, the society descends into lawlessness. So now I want to jump into Matthew chapter 22, and I want to unpack a particular verse there. It's Yeshua speaking and he's giving a parable um about a wedding. The wedding he's saying the wedding feast is ready. The king is furious because he sent out his army and um he said to the servants, The wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you can see. And then um he invites, you know, all these different people to the wedding. And then he sees one man who wasn't properly dressed. How did you get in here, he says. And then the king and the man had no reply. The king says, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now that's the context. So here's the punchline. Verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. So I believe what this is talking about is that You know, you can be in a church or a fellowship for many years and attend faithfully every week, whether you go on Saturday or you go on Sunday. And there may, you know, only God knows the heart of each individual person who attends a congregation. And so if your heart is not right, you don't actually have a true relationship with Yeshua in your heart. And you're just a person that's just going through the motions. And, you know, attending every week for whatever reason, maybe out of habit or tradition or it's like a social club and they have a lot of contacts there and it's a benefit to their business, whatever the reason is, if they don't have a true heart relationship, this means that that's like the guy who went to the wedding and he wasn't properly dressed with wedding clothes. And so it says, many are called, but few are chosen. So there's a, another passage that's very similar to this, and I want to share that it's with from Matthew chapter seven verses thirteen to fourteen Enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So, many are called. The many go through the wide gate, but few are chosen. The chosen go through the narrow gate. And what is this narrow gate? The word narrow in Greek, in the Greek is phlebo. Phlebo. And that word phlebo means... It means to go through the press, like you're pressing grapes. And, you know, or when you're pressing olives, you're going through the press. So that word phlebo means to press, as in grapes, to press hard upon, a compressed way, a narrow, contracted way. It's um. So if you imagine that you're part of a cluster of grapes and now the press is coming down to, to crush the grapes and to get all the juice out or you're part of a cluster of olives and now the press is coming down to press out all of the olive oil so the olive oil and the grape juice is precious but it had to go through a tremendous crushing for that to come forth so that's what it is to walk the narrow way it's not an easy path it's difficult it's a difficult path it's not easy and so Our human flesh desires to be comfortable. Our human flesh wants to avoid pain and difficulty and trials and tribulations. It's just easier to go the wide way. It's a lot more difficult to go the narrow way. And so this is the picture for us, is to walk the narrow way and not take the easy way out, but remain true to the morals, to the Torah, to to Yeshua. Finally, I want to take a look at Psalm 27. And in verses 4 and 5, it's hinting at something, and I want to unpack that for you. Verses 4 and 5. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. Verse 5. For he will conceal me there. When troubles come, he will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. So in the King James, it talks about a pavilion. And so in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And that word pavilion is suk, which is the, the root word to suka, And suka, that should bring a memory bell to you, is all about sukkot. When people gather together in tents, in sukkah, in booths, to be together for that eight days of sukkot. And so um, that's the the word souk in the Greek is meaning booth. And so he's going to hide us in his pavilion and he's going to set us up upon a rock. So this is hinting at, I believe, the time known as Jacob's trouble. When we go through the great tribulation period. And there's troubles surrounding us that we will be hidden. We will be protected. We will be hiding in the secret place. And what is this secret place? The secret of his tabernacle. The secret place is the place of prayer, it's the place where we shut the door to the world and we get quiet and we draw near to the Lord. And we talk with him and we listen to him and have conversation with him and uh, spend time with him. And so it's so important to develop that secret place with him, to grow in that place with him, to learn to hear his voice, to discern his voice. Now, when we spend time in the Word, we're listening to him talk to us through his Word. And then when we go to prayer, we are talking with him, but we can also practice listening prayer. And in listening prayer, we listen, and he will give us an impression or a thought or a scripture will come to mind. Um, He might whisper, not in an audible voice, but put an impression there. And, And so it's very important to develop that secret place relationship with him. Have a blessed day, and we will see you tomorrow. Shalom. <laughs> Hanaav (tutters) ilaka, vikunnehekah. Isa adonai. Hanaav ilaka, vayaseheh lekah, lekah.